Thank you very much, Karen, for ministering in music. I occasionally mention this, that as I preach and teach and so on, I interact from a couple of love affairs, maybe more than a couple of three, I guess. A love for God, a love for you as a congregation, and a deep, deep appreciation for God and his written word that he has given to us. There's some sermons that probably impact me deeper than others. Today is one that has probably been formulating for many years, just as God works in my life and as I study through Scripture, if I were to preach what I studied for this morning, we would probably be here at 6 or 7 o'clock tonight yet, and I won't go that long, I guarantee that. I could, I'm not sure. We would all appreciate that. But God desires to work in our lives. He has pursued us. He desires for us to communicate with him. Individually, but also as a body. Father, as we interact with your word this morning, we want to be hearers, doers, of your word in our day-by-day living. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Passion springing from experiencing God's grace in Christ is a good thing. Essential in a local church of believers loving God and one another. As Joshua was moving away from leading Israel, he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The sons of Korah expressed passion in Psalm 42 and verse 1. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. The passion of Jesus for his Father's will is found in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Paul's passion is seen in Philippians 3 and verse 10. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The writer of Hebrews challenges his readers to passion. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. As a body of believers, there's three passions that we want to pursue and 2017, two weeks ago, we discussed God's glory, a passionate desire for God's glory in our day-by-day living. Last week, we talked about being thankful for God's work in the saints, and we looked at a passage of Scripture where Paul was thankful for a body of believers, even though they had some warts and struggles and sins that they were battling with. This morning, we want to touch on what I would call corporate prayer, corporate talking to God. And I'm encouraging us as a church to pursue God in praying. I'm not saying we don't, that's not my point, but encouraging us to keep a correct and I think a godly focus. I'm not saying we fall tremendously short but a reminder 
of some things that God does desire. We'll be focusing on two or three passages, depends on the time this morning. But I want you to understand that as I read scripture, looking at dozens of passages, that I chose to focus on two. I could focus on others. And some of the applications I will share later spring from the study of some parallel passages that I will not even mention this morning. But a couple of thought questions. Not looking for response. What is one of the deepest forms of intimacy among the saints in a local church? What is one of the deepest forms of intimacy among saints in a local church? I said one of the deepest. I didn't say the deepest. Fruitfulness and what other item are intimately related in a local church? Fruitfulness and what other item are intimately related in a local church? The answer to both questions is the same. Let's review a little some things we discussed way back in December. The foundation of prayer is four unions. The union of Christ and his Father while on this earth. You read the Gospel of John in particular, you see a union between Christ, Jesus, a oneness, a sharing, an interaction, an interdependency. There's a second union, the union of Christ with humans. He took upon himself human form so that he could become a faithful high priest, as Hebrews chapter 5 speaks about. There's a union of Christ with believers. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, If you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, the believer, the saints, are in union with Christ. A fourth union, the union of believers in Christ, With one another. Believers in Christ are bound together in Christ, the Holy Spirit living in all believers. Now, this morning we want to look at a passage in Acts chapter 4. We'll begin there, and as time permits, we'll go beyond that. But as we look at Scripture, whether it be Acts, or some related passages that we could look at, I want you to keep in mind that the passages we're considering were written to or are discussing local bodies of believers, local bodies of saints. Many of the epistles were written to local bodies of believers. I realize 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, 2nd and 3rd John were written to the individuals, but the other epistles written to believers. So it's important that as we read Scripture, we see them, first of all, written to bodies of believers or saints. And our applications are made, first of all, to believers, local bodies, and then secondly, to the individual. Sometimes we say, got to apply this to me. Let's this morning think about how does this apply to local bodies. So a counselor says to a couple that is having some marital difficulties, I want you to pray together. My interpretation is he wants a husband and a wife to sit down and talk to God out loud 
in the presence of one another. He's not saying, I want your husband, you go to the bedroom, and I want you, the wife to go in the living room, and you talk to God. He wants you, too, to talk to God. And if we're not careful in American Christianity, as we read Scripture, we always think, me. We don't think the body. And I think that is very significant as we reflect on Scripture that we see God addressing so often to local bodies. Individual application, yes, but local bodies because one part affects all. A few years ago, I conducted my brother's funeral. That began because one part of his body started to influence the rest of his body. And his prostate cancer spread to other parts of his body and ultimately he died. So as we think about scripture, see, we're a body. Individuals, yes, but applying to the body. Acts 4, in verses 23 through 31, we find Scripture says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now keep in mind in the context of the background of this passage, Jesus had risen from the dead. And he interacted with the 11 plus some others. He was seen by many people that he did actually come from the dead. And while the 11 and some others were waiting for Jesus, according to Acts 1, or for the Holy Spirit, I should say. In Acts 1, 12 through 14, they spent time together in prayer. The day of Pentecost came, and the 11 spoke with great boldness. Peter addresses the crowd. People came to faith in Christ. They were baptized. And then they interacted and shared together. In Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and John as they're going to the temple... They heal a lame man. They get in trouble for that with the uh, chief priests and the elders. 
and they end up before the Sanhedrin, and they spend a night in prison. And the Sanhedrin distinctly and very clearly tells them they're not to speak in the name of Jesus. But Peter says in verse 19 of Acts 4, Peter and Jen replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then further threats were given and they released them. And that leads us to the passage we want to consider briefly this morning. So what did Peter and John do? The text clearly says they went back to their own people. Those that have come to faith in the day of Pentecost, those that have come to faith after the day of Pentecost. And what did they do? They shared. And I find it interesting in verse 24, when they, the they refers to the people, the church, the saints, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Apparently they were gathered together. Peter and John came back. Here's what happened to us. And the body, whatever it looked like, raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they make a specific request. They talked to God. They rehearsed briefly what happened to Christ. And then they say, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is not Daniel over here praying at one place in in Sweet Valley and Sandy another place and Emerson somewhere else, but collectively together as a body raising their voices in prayer to God. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And don't get the idea that I'm saying we need to pray about being able to perform miraculous signs and wonders and so on. It's not where we're coming from the passage. But the fact that they heard this, they raised their voices together. The body prayed. They used some quotes from Old Testament scripture. They talk about what happened with Jesus. They reaffirm that Jesus going to the cross in verse 28 was what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. And they don't ask for escape from the difficulty but God consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. And we know that they did speak the word with boldness. Not only then, but in months to come. But it's a gathered body that is praying. Acts 1, 12 through 14, the 120 in the upper room prayed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer 
the body praying. Let's go to another passage in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. A lot of joy in Philippians. There's some division in Philippians. He talks about Christ and what the body of Christ in Philippi, I think what believers have today in Christ. And I know I have many times gone to Philippians 4, 4 through 7 individually, but we want to think about it from the context of a body, the local body in Philippi. If you look at Philippians 4, there was some division. He speaks to two ladies in verses 2 and 3, now encouraging them to agree with each other. Again, the church in Philippi had problems, but yet the, Paul is thankful for them as we discussed last week. But he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's writing to a body because he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons in 1-1. Rejoice in the Lord always. How does a local body of believers rejoice in the Lord when they're together? I'm not going to answer that this morning, but a thought question. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. How does a local body of believers collectively, together, let their gentleness be evident to all. Again, just a thought question. Look in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Ray, don't be anxious about anything. Karen, don't be anxious about anything. Now let's reread it. Saints in Ephesus as a body of believers don't be anxious about anything. Now I added some words there coming from chapter 1 and verse 1. He's writing to the body. He's saying to the body, don't be anxious. We go back a few months when we were still in the process of determining who was going to be president. I heard over and over anxiety about the election among believers. So in some respects, Paul could be saying, to you believers in the U.S., don't be anxious about the election that is coming up in November of 2016, assuming that was being stated before the election. He's writing to a body, don't be anxious. Josephine Bunny passed away last Sunday. Part of a body, don't be anxious. A number of people that are not here this morning because they're sick, don't be anxious. So the economy tanks. And our local church has some financial difficulties. He says, don't be anxious. 
Now, individually, we need to live out this passage, but see it in the context also of a local body. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The body as a whole bringing concerns to God together. Can be done individually, yes. But as a body, he says, don't be anxious. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You ever stop to think about what our corporate anxieties are? What are our anxieties as a body of believers? Who's carrying an anxiety anxiety that influences someone else? Who is worrying and fretting that influences the body? Well, you say, what happens in someone else's life isn't any concern to mine. Well, now you've just stepped outside of what Scripture teaches about the body. We're to carry one another's burdens. We're to be concerned about each other. That influences the body. So Stanley Cope is at Meadows. Family discussing and interacting, you know, what happens in the future as far as where he will be. That's something the body can pray about, be concerned about. So see Philippians 4, first of all, written to a body of believers. Yes, we live it out and we apply it individually, but God gives peace, which transcends all understanding, that guards hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as it relates to a body. We won't turn to this passage, but we could go to First Peter chapter 5, where he tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord, you know, resist the devil and he'll flee from us, you know, and so on, and casting all your care on him because he cares for you. That is on God. But read that as written to a group of saints in various areas that were going through difficulty and persecution. Sharing as a body of believers is essential. It takes time. We don't share everything with the entire body, but we should interact with the body in some way, shape, or form. Corporate demands openness. I find it interesting of 39 references in the epistles to prayer that 13 of them speak directly of corporate prayer. Only three that I can understand speak of individual prayer and just individual prayer. In America, 
we have a very individualistic mindset. We think individually. So who's elected? How's it going to influence me? We read scripture. How am I to apply this? And yes, we individually need to apply scripture. But we're a member of the body of Christ. And the corporate application is very, very critical. I'm not downplaying individual prayer. But I'm emphasizing that scripture emphasizes corporate prayer. Very important. I went through Bible college, seminary. I say this is an observation. I spent years preparing to minister the word of God. I did not have one course offered to me in corporate prayer or how to lead a church in corporate prayer. But yet the 12 in Acts 6, when they were, there was trouble with the waiting on the widows and caring of the widows, they said, we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of God's word. You go back to the Old Testament. Prophets had a role of speaking God's word, but an equal role in prophets was to pray for people. And the first mention of prophet is Abraham in the Old Testament. And what did he do? He prayed. So I take all this training to minister, and I appreciate what training I got. But basically, nothing on prayer and corporate prayer. I'm not being critical. I'm sharing an observation. Pull out our hymnal. Or go buy any other hymnal you want. And see how many hymns are listed on corporate prayer. You find almost none. Oh, individual prayer. But almost none corporately. And again, I'm not being critical. I'm not tearing down. I want us to see that God emphasizes praying together as local bodies. And not limited to local bodies. But also as Families, as married couples. Again, some things that I'm mentioning now may not be clarified specifically in Acts 4 or Philippians chapter 4, but I've considered dozens of other passages. So, challenge, and I use that as maybe in way of encouragement. For our church, church council praying together, elders praying together, Sunday school teachers pray together, Awana leaders pray together, teen leaders pray together, the body praying together, 
Awana leaders and, and parents praying together. Teen leaders and parents praying together. VBS leaders, teachers, helpers praying together. Music leaders and those who sing praying together. There's two things that my parents could leave myself and my siblings. They did well in the one, not quite as well in the other. One was to just simply teach us scripture and how it applies in life. Dad and mom did that pretty well in a variety of ways. The second is to pray with and for us. As a couple, but as a family. Did pretty well on the family end. We often spent time together as a family praying. But mom and dad probably prayed very, very little together as husband and wife for their kids. Great legacy. Thankful for that. One of the greatest legacies a parent can leave is to pray. As a husband and wife, as mom and dad for their children. One of the greatest legacies leaders can do in the context of ministry in a church is to say, let's pray together and pray. I can spend hours a week in preparation for a sermon. Do I spend hours a week in praying for the body and with the body when I'm with you throughout the week? We can get together in a ministry opportunity, but praying together. The choice to pray together whether it be individually, I'm sorry, as a family or as a couple, or in the context of ministry, seems to be a choice to live independent or in dependency upon Christ. The choice not to pray corporately seems to be a choice to be and to live independent of Christ. Satan will attack in a local body of saints in, I think, two core areas. If he wins in these areas, to a large extent, the war is over, even though much activity may continue. And first of all, is to lure pastor, elders, leaders from praying for and with their followers. been a pastor for over 40 years. One of the greatest struggles that the enemy keeps presenting to me is just to pray. 
See, I can study a passage of Scripture, and I can read a commentary, and I can look up definitions in Greek and so on. And after three hours, I can say, here's what I accomplished. But if I pray for three hours, I look back and say, what did I accomplish? There's nothing written down. I didn't really accomplish anything. But I did. Dads, the enemy doesn't want you praying for and with your family. Husbands, the enemy will lure you in every way, shape, or form to keep from praying you and your wife to pray together. Just about life, about your marriage, about your jobs, about your kids, your grandchildren, and so on. Ministry leaders can get together and talk about ministry for minute after minute after minute. But when the time comes to say, let's pray together for the next 30 minutes, we struggle. Now, don't say that critically. We must see the nature of the battle. Or we don't make it. I say this very kindly and gently. Get a group of pastors together. And if you're a little mouse, just listen to what they talk about. It's not going to be ungodly. But when they're all done, ask how much time they spent together in prayer. The scriptures emphasize repeatedly praying with others. The second thing the enemy seeks to do is just to lure saints from gathering with other saints to pray. I'm not saying everyone has to pray when you're together, but the body together agreeing we're praying about some things. A family together agreeing about praying together. A husband and a wife agreeing together and just praying. A parent, maybe a single parent and some kids or child, praying together. I recognize very well that we're together in a deep battle and that battle is just to pray and to pray with others. And I'm not being hard and critical and saying you're terrible. What's wrong? I'm not sure where all of you are. I'm a pretty good idea where many of you are when it comes to prayer. But as a body, it's important that we pray. As a pastor, it's important that I pray and we as elders and pastor pray. The church council pray. Our ministry leaders pray. Not merely individual, 
but together. You're going to build a fire. You get pieces of wood and you lay them separate from one another. You get a little kindling and you put the kindling over here. And then you light the kindling and you hope the rest of the pieces will burn. They don't. But if you take these pieces of wood and you get a little kindling under them and you stack these correctly, what's going to happen? Going to a blazing fire and you can stand there and get warm. But what does the enemy do? There's Chip. There's Vera. There's Daniel. There's Travila. There's Ruth Ann. There's Jason. And there's Karen. He says you can make it alone. That's the enemy. I'm encouraging you in your world of influence family, other leaders or whatever, take time to pray together. And as a body, it's important that we pray. As we think about prayer, we're going to sing together a song as Travis comes. And then after that, we'll pray together. Travis.